0: Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are with us in person, are joining us via live stream, or watching on demand at some later date, we're glad for the opportunity to worship with you today. If you are part of our Dayspring family, welcome home. If you are new to Dayspring, we want you to feel like you've come home as well. When you think about it, it's amazing that through the gift of technology, we can connect to one another, regardless of location, and worship together. No matter when or where you are watching from, we're glad you are here with us. Here at Dayspring, we believe nothing is more important than your spiritual growth. We are committed to helping you thrive no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. Perhaps you're just curious about church, or maybe you're just looking for some hope. Maybe you don't know why you're here this morning. That's okay. Bring your questions and your doubts. You are welcome here. Your journey matters to us and we would love nothing more than to walk with you. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church or by checking out our Facebook page. I'm Chris Voigt, lead pastor at Dayspring. I'd love to connect with you if you have questions about today's message or about the next step in your spiritual journey. If you want more information about Dayspring and getting connected into our community, I'd be glad to help you do that as well. To help you get the most out of the message today, we've prepared some discussion questions to help you process what you are learning on your own or with others. You can find the discussion guide in our resources section of our website. And now, let's worship together. Well, last week, uh, I gave a few shout-outs to some of our Day Springers uh, who recently began their journey uh, together in marriage. Uh, new love is always exciting. There's something inspiring when we watch two people commit to loving each other until death do they part. Of course, we know that it's much easier to start a marriage than it is to keep one together through the long haul. And this week, Two of our day springers celebrated a big milestone. Dale and Cheryl Gladden have been married for 50 years. They're sitting there in the back of the room. 50 long years of loving one another. And that got me to, to thinking. Uh, It's since been disproven, but in 1987, a study was released answering the question, do couples start to look alike over time? Do couples start to look alike over time? The longer that they're together, what happens? Uh, Let me give you a couple of examples from pop culture, thanks to BuzzFeed.com. You'd have to live under a rock to not recognize the name Justin Timberlake. He is one of the uh, most talented artists in the music world, and he has certainly begun to to find a place in the acting world as well. He has been married to actress Jessica Biel for nine years. Now, I know that a paltry nine years isn't anywhere near Dale and Cheryl, but here's how much Justin and Jessica look alike now. Uh, Here's one for you sports fans. Uh, Even I know who Tom Brady is. He's got seven Super Bowl rings in his collection, uh, which still leaves room for his wedding ring. He's been married to supermodel Giselle Buncheon for 12 years. And look at how much they've begun to look alike. <laughs> one more from the celebrity world, Denzel Washington is one of my favorite actors. Uh, This two-time Oscar winner for Training Day and Glory has tackled just about every movie genre. Uh, He and his wife, Pauletta, have successfully navigated marriage longer than most Hollywood stars. Uh, They've been married for just shy of 40 years. And look, they could be stunt doubles for each other. I mean, (laughs) if Denzel ever played the new Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay, so that, that brings us to Dale and Cheryl Gladden. 50 blessed years, here they are on their wedding day. And here's a picture from just last week at their anniversary celebration. I think Cheryl told me that the little helper was a grand-nephew. Okay, here's Dale, and here's Cheryl. Let's do a little Photoshop magic and voila. What do you think? Well, as I said, the 1987 study was disproven over time. We don't begin to physically look like one another, but we do begin to act like one another. We pick up mannerisms and speech patterns of each other over time as we do life together. Kind of like we do in our relationship with Christ. Now today we're going to conquer the rest of chapter 4 of 1 John. And if you're just joining us for the first time here in the room or online, we are spending the summer working through the Apostle John's letters to the churches in Asia Minor, an area we know better as Turkey. Uh, As we've seen so far, the the longer we are in fellowship with God and other Christ followers, the more mannerisms and patterns of behavior that we begin to share. We, We begin to look like Christ. Uh, Not physically, of course, but we begin to think like Christ, believe like Christ, and act like Christ. Uh, All of that is a byproduct or an outcome of fellowship, which we learned isn't a word that describes a shallow relationship. Uh, Instead, fellowship happens at deep heart levels when we let people, and of course God, see us as we really are. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We might also call it intimacy in that we let people see into me. We are truly known, loved, and accepted. And over time, that fellowship expresses itself as joy, walking in the light, and discernment. Three mannerisms or characteristics that, as we've already discovered, help to assure us of our salvation in Christ when we experience doubt. And, The lack of those characteristics gives us clues to a fellowship problem that we can explore and grow in. Uh, The lack of joy, for example, uh, gives us a growth area. Dancing with the dark instead of walking in the light gives us a focus area to grow in. Now, for those of you watching who might just be exploring the claims of Christ, they also give you a way to recognize a Christ follower if you need some help finding answers. Although, to be sure, often we aren't very good at living these characteristics out faithfully. So, if you're just checking out Jesus or skeptical of Jesus because of the way you've seen some of his followers act, start with what the Bible says. Use that as your benchmark. We'll fail you, but God's word never fails. And as always if you are joining us in the middle of this series you'll find all of the previous messages on our website and YouTube channel if you want to explore further now as we move into today's passage let me ask you a question what is the love chapter of the Bible 1st Corinthians 13 is the answer that we typically give 1 Corinthians 13 Besides Psalm 23, pieces of it are probably some of the best-known Bible passages, both in and outside of the church. It's often recited at weddings as a nice, aspirational poem. But it isn't a poem. And though it might be aspirational, the Apostle Paul wrote it to challenge us and paint a practical picture of how to love like Jesus commanded. You see, Jesus was born Jewish— a one of his titles is King of the Jews. Most of his followers before his death and resurrection were Jewish. And when God established his covenant with the Jewish nation, he did it through Moses, the great leader, who led this family of Abraham out of slavery in Egypt. Up to that point, that's what they they were, a family. A big family, to be sure, about two and a half million people or so, but still a family. And Then in the desert while they were walking to the promised land God made them into a nation and in doing so gave them 613 laws that they were required to follow civil laws ceremonial laws and moral laws 613 and while Jesus was walking on the earth an expert in the law asked him which was the most important Of the 613 laws. Now Jesus didn't surprise them when he began his answer with, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. But he did surprise them when, without taking a breath, he added a second and equally important commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. In his words, these two commandments were equal and If you did them well, you fulfilled the rest of the 611 commands. Because love does what love requires. Love does what is required of love. And that is a much higher standard than any of the other laws. Jesus essentially simplified the law from 613 down to 2. That's from these commands that we get our mission as a church. Love God, love others, and in doing that, we change lives. Our own as well as other people's lives. But he made it even easier than that on his last night before the crucifixion. He had gathered his closest disciples for what we call the Last Supper. They called it Passover. Passover. And while they were there, he downloaded his final instructions. These are among the last words of Jesus. And you could say that in these final moments, he wanted to leave them with his most important information. The Apostle John records these words in what we call the Gospel of John. John chapter 13, verse 34. John writes that Jesus said, So now... I am giving you a new commandment love each other just as I have loved you you should love each other so now Jesus boiled 613 laws down to this one command love like Jesus if you love like Jesus you don't need any other rules Love covers them all. Love does what is required of love, which is why so much of the New Testament talks about love. It's why the Apostle Paul used the word agape, which is the highest level of love in Greek, eight times in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, and so on. Agape, love, eight times. Now John has already talked about love in this letter. We've already learned that loving like Jesus is both proof of our identity in Christ and our fellowship with Christ. But in the rest of chapter 4, John takes it over the top. The noun love and the verb to love in Greek appear 27 times in the rest of this chapter. 27 times. No other chapter of the Bible comes close. Not even the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. John uses love more than three and a half times than Paul. Which means a pretty good argument could be made that 1 John chapter 4 is the love chapter of the Bible. As Charles Swindoll writes, this Christ-like, self-sacrificial, others-focused love transformed the, Apostle's, the Apostle John's life. In his gospel, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. he wasn't pointing out how great he was to earn christ's love rather he couldn't stop marveling that jesus would express his unconditional selfless love to anyone particularly him john felt much like we often do he couldn't believe that jesus loved him in spite of who he was not because of it which means that john understands how life-changing this kind of love can be for us and for the rest of the world they will know we are christians by our love so in the rest of this chapter john describes what i would call the circle of love circle of love ah satena. okay now all of you lion king cut lovers can get that out of your head you know that's what some of you were thinking the circle of love begins in, a chapter, uh, in chapter 4, in verses 7 and 8. He writes, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The circle begins with God himself and what he is, God is love. As Warren Wiersbe points out, this is the third of three expressions that John uses to help us understand the nature of God. Uh, He told us first in his gospel, in John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is spirit. This is his essence. He is not flesh and blood. And because his being is spirit, he is not bound by time and space the way we are. As a side note... Jesus now has a glorified body, and one day we'll have the same, but God the Father is spirit. And then in 1 John chapter 1 verse 5, John told us that God is light, and while his spirit refers to his essence, light refers to his holy nature. The Bible uses light as a symbol of holiness, just as darkness symbolizes sin. So we are called to walk in the light because in our adoption, we received his holy nature. And then here, John tells us that God is love. Now, the reverse is not true. Love is not God. God is love. Love does not define God. God defines love. And as such, all love begins with him. As love and light... His love is holy, and his holiness is expressed as love. I think sometimes it's hard to really wrap our heads around what biblical love is because we rarely see any good consistent examples around us today. On the other hand, the world is filled with cheap imitations that skew our understanding, and we have the author of lies to thank for that one. Love that is born out of the very essence of God must be spiritual and holy because that's what the source is. This is what makes love the litmus test for the Christian faith. Since God is love and we have claimed a personal relationship with God or been born into God, we must reveal love in the way we live. And here in verse 7, the word know K-N-O-W is a verb, and it is used to describe the intimate union between a husband and wife, meaning that to know God is to be in a deep, intimate relationship with him. It isn't just a matter of intellectual understanding. Knowing is based on the intimacy of a shared life and love with the God of the universe. But don't confuse any kind of love as knowing God. While God is the source of all love, all who love don't necessarily know God. There are lots of shallow expressions of love in the world uh, around us, and and, and and lots of non-Christians even love sacrificially for their family and friends. But that doesn't mean they know God, as John means here. Without a personal experience of God, their love is simply an echo of being created in the image of God in the same way that ours is. Uh, Their love isn't powered by the Spirit of God in the same way that ours is. Uh, The bottom line here is that if we claim to know God, we must be affected by God and as such must become what God is which is expressed through love. So the circle of love begins with God because it finds its source in the very definition of love. God is love. But it doesn't stop there. Let's continue uh, reading uh, in the next few verses. Verse 9. Now, because God is love, he must communicate in the language of love. True love can never simply be words. True love is never static or inactive. True love is a verb. So love did what love does. He gave himself away. And that's the next part of the circle of love. God gave himself away to us, he sent his son. The greatest expression of God's love was revealed or manifested itself in some translations to us in Jesus. In the original language, this conveys the thought of being brought out into the open, of of the secret being made known, the hidden revealed. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says that the old law kept God's love in the shadows, hidden behind religious ceremony. Jesus brought it into the light. Now this is the only place in this letter where John uses the phrase one and only son. And it means unique, the only one of its kind. Some translations might use the phrase only begotten son. As a baby, as the perfect man, Jesus was born into the world. As the eternal son, Jesus was sent into the world. And he was sent that we might have eternal life through him. And then in verse 10, so he might be the propitiation for our sins. Now that's a big churchy word that means that Jesus satisfied the penalty for our sins. You know scholars, they like to come up with big churchy words. I think they get paid by the syllable. <laughs> what it really means is that God did because we couldn't. He died on the cross as part of a strategic plan. As Wiersbe states, his death was not an accident. It was an appointment. He did not die as a weak martyr, but as a mighty conqueror. And then in verse 11, for the second time, we are commanded to love one another. And the basis... For this love is the nature of God. God is love. We know God. Therefore, we should love one another. And just as we didn't do anything to earn God's love, we will learn to love others for the same reason. Not because of what they can give us, but because of what we can give them. We basically reciprocate God's love. You understand what reciprocation means. If somebody scratches your back, you scratch theirs. If somebody buys you lunch this week, then you buy theirs next week. That's what it means to reciprocate. But in this case, we can't reciprocate back to God. There's no way we could ever pay God back. He doesn't need anything from us. We couldn't offer anything that would benefit him in any way. So instead of paying God back, we pay it forward. We also call that grace. But we only have something to pay forward because God did it first. He gave his love away so that we could do the same. God is love, he gave it away, and now we give it away. And when we do, when we give it away, three interesting things happen. Verse 12, No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and that they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Okay, now the first interesting thing, and we see it right here in verse 12, his love is brought to full expression in us. His love is made complete. When we love, we complete the circle of love. Uh, If we go back to our top two commands in the old covenant, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. What John is saying here is that the one command Jesus gave to his disciples on that last night to love others like Jesus, that one command accomplishes both of the old commands at the same time. When we love like Jesus, our love for others flows through them and back to God, completing the circle. When We, we, we love God when we love others. Without others, we can't complete the circle. We don't really love God. Now, in the original language, the word for full expression means complete, brings to an end, finish, accomplish. When we love one another, God's love accomplishes its purposes, which also brings us to the second interesting thing. This perfected love reveals God to the world. No one can see God. But when we love, we reveal God. We testify. Our lives become a living testament to the truth that God lives us and we live in him. And when we love like Jesus, we look like Jesus. That's what God had in mind when he decided to make us his dwelling place. Now, it's not really a rabbit trail, but maybe as a sidebar, let's think for a minute about about what the Bible says about God's dwelling places. In the beginning, way back in the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve. He fellowshiped with them in a personal way until sin broke that fellowship. But Genesis goes on to describe men like Enoch, Noah, and Abraham as men who walked with God. When we get to Exodus, as God made this Jewish Jewish family into a nation, he lived or dwelt with them. He started out in a cloud, and then eventually his tent or tabernacle was ready, and he dwelt in the camp, but not in the men and women of the camp. And then their sin drove him away for a while until Samuel, David, and Solomon got things headed in the right direction, and God returned when Solomon dedicated the great temple. And then Israel sinned, and God left, and the temple was destroyed, and Israel taken captive. God returned when Jesus was born. His body was the temple of God. Until men killed him, they crucified the glory of God. Then Christ rose from the dead, returned to heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell not with men and women, but in men and women. The glory of God now lives in us. And when we love, we reveal the glory of God to the world. We make the invisible God visible. There's an important little word that shows up six times in verses 12 to 16. Abide. Now we've talked about it already in this series. To abide in Christ is to remain in him remain with him so that no sin comes between us when we when we abide he empowers our love and the world sees jesus that's the second interesting thing but that ain't all folks we see the third interesting thing beginning in verse 17 and i'm going to take it all the way through the rest of this chapter and as we live in god Our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first, he loved us first. Now, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Now, popping back up to verse 17, when we love like Jesus, God's love is made complete as it returns to him. At the same time, it reveals him to the world as it moves through them. The third interesting thing is that when we love like Jesus, it perfects us as well. Perfect here conveys the idea of maturity and completeness. Loving like Jesus grows us up. If you really want to boil down spiritual growth to its essence, it's loving God— with more of your life every day, which can only be done by loving others. And if we jump to verse 20 again, we see the idea that loving God is equated to loving people. You can't have one without the other. Loving others is the mechanism God has given us to grow in our love for him. So let's put this into perspective for a moment. When you don't treat someone with love, from John's perspective, when you hate someone, but we don't like to think of it that way. It's too convicting. So when we are less than loving to the barista who got our coffee wrong, we are being less than loving to God. When we curse the guy who cuts us off on the freeway, we're cursing God. Even if we only use our inside voice and not the outside voice. When we badmouth our boss or our spouse or politicians, we are badmouthing God. When we yell at our kids, we're yelling at God. Imagine yelling, God, go clean your room in that exasperated voice that you use when your kids have brought you to the brink of insanity. You get the picture? I'd bet like me that you can think of one time in the past week when you've mistreated God this way. Maybe more. John is really elevating the priority of love, isn't he? Now, as a side benefit, as we see in verse 18, uh, it's, it's that we have confidence that we will face Jesus without shame. You right, remember that thought from chapter 2, verse 28. We'll have no fear. Love is perfected in us casts out all fear. And I'd guess that after today we have a better understanding of what this phrase means. Love given away perfects us and in the process casts out all fear. If we don't give love away it can't make the return trip to heaven and it's never perfected. If we don't pay it forward, it remains incomplete. And incomplete or imperfect love breeds fear. Hmm. The more you keep, the less you have. Now, there's a thought. Now, I guess that most of us know all of this is true. We probably knew it before I ever started talking. In fact, some of you think that the point of a sermon at church is to give you more or better information about God, and that is spiritual growth. Nope. Every sermon should help you love more. The more love you express, the more spiritual growth you experience. So how are you living it out? I guess it feels a little overwhelming at times. I bet you've tried it and had some good experiences and tried it and had some less than good experiences. I bet you've tried it and then felt like things were a little lopsided and all you did was serve and nobody served as well as you served them and that didn't seem fair. And I bet that those less than good experiences left you feeling drained, thinking that it's impossible to always love like Jesus. That's how it's been for me. I've had times where I've thought to myself, can't someone else take out the garbage? Or am, I, or, or am I the only person in this office who knows how to put paper in the copy machine? <laughs> or why do I always have to be the one who calls first? Why can't they? Or pick your own scenario. And I've realized that in those moments, what leaves me drained is that I've put the wrong person on the throne. I'm trying to return love to myself. I'm thinking of me first and what I deserve. And nothing good happens in my spirit when I'm the center of my world. But before you jump ahead, and let me also say that it doesn't work to put Didi or my office mates or my friends on the throne either. That might feel good for a moment, but it will still leave me and you feeling drained in the the long run. The only way this works is to love while we abide. And that means God has to be on the throne. Loving him has to be the motivation. And when you get that right, perfected love fills you. It never drains you. That's how and why you pay it forward. And that always feels good. When I take out the garbage because God left it for me, it changes my thought process. And (laughs) I love Dee Dee and Josh like Jesus in the process. When I fill the copier so that it's ready for God when he needs to make a copy, something in me changes. And I love my office mates like Jesus in the process. When I call someone to bless God, someone gets blessed. And frankly, it's also usually me. But I also love like Jesus in the process. Like for this to work, we have to keep our eyes in the right place. And perfect love does its perfect work. But don't take my word for it. Try it for yourself. Here's your assignment for the next week. In every moment, especially every moment where you sense your spirit headed in the wrong direction, in every moment, just ask, God, how can I love you best in this moment? How can I love you best, Father? And then do what love requires and see how you feel as you pay it forward. And if you're really brave, tell me about it. I'd like to hear. Let's pray. Father, I was thinking about this uh, this week. 613 laws down to two, down to one. Jesus really made it simple. And then (laughs) after he made it simple... The rest of the, the New Testament, all the letters of Paul and Peter and John and James, uh, all of them really spend a lot of time unpacking what it means to love like Jesus. Probably because we're so dense we couldn't figure it out on our own. Probably because there's not a lot of examples in the world around us that show us or model how to love like Jesus. All of that time spent explaining what it means to love like Jesus and we still suck at it. We have moments or glimpses where we might shine like the stars in the universe. But we also spend a lot of time in the shadows. Our light is often dim. So, Father, teach us what it looks like to love like Jesus in our context, wherever you've placed us at, at work. Home, with our friends with our family teach us how to love like Jesus when we're when we're caring for our kids and our parents teach us to love like Jesus when we're driving our cars and when we're waiting in line and when someone uh, doesn't meet our expectations and disappoints us teach us to love like Jesus and May we step forward in obedience with the thought that, it, that we're not really loving others, so to speak, but we're loving you through others. May we be the kind of people who pay it forward with every part of our lives so that the world will see Jesus. We'll see that Jesus changes lives. We'll see the light that shines in the darkness. We pray in the precious name of our Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us in worship today. Whether you are part of our Dayspring family or just joined us for the first time, we'd love to walk with you on your spiritual journey. Feel free to drop us an email if you have questions or want more information. For those of you who choose to invest financially at Dayspring, thank you for your generosity and your commitment to helping others grow. Every gift, large or small, matters, and God never ceases to surprise us with what He is able to do because of your commitment to following Him in every part of your life. If you're our guest today, please know that we consider your time a gift to us and this service our gift to you. There is no expectation or obligation for you to give. For those of you who would like to partner financially, there are three easy ways for you to give. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen. And for those of you who still use them, you can also mail a check to us. We'd like to thank those of you who subscribe, like, and share these messages with your friends. If you are listening on our podcast, feel free to leave a review. More of Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems, and we appreciate your help inviting others to check him out. We'll see you next week.